0: Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm Luke Burbank. Okay, we wanted to spread a little holiday cheer this week, and we thought, who better to help us than Paul F. Tompkins, the comedian. He's going to talk about his podcast that he does with his wife, and also the time that he had to listen to what is probably the most tense version of Oh Holy Night. Then we are going to hear from the poet Jose Olivares about his new book of poems, Promises of Gold. It's a sort of a love letter to all the kinds of love in our lives. Friendship love, romantic love, all of it. And as a special holiday gift to you, Jose is going to read two love poems from the book. Finally, we're going to wrap things up with some music from Esme Patterson. She's going to play an original Christmas song that she wrote about her family. So that is the plan for this week's show. Tis the season to hang out with Livewire. It all gets started right after this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12 month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary, discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Good. The holidays are here, and it is time for I consider this a somewhat holiday related. Station Location Identification Examination.
1: Ooh!
0: Yes, right? Okay, this is where I'm going to tell you about a place in the country where we're on the radio. you got to try to guess where I am talking about. Um, This city is home to the historic annual Grandma's Marathon, which is not actually a marathon for grandmas, (laughs) but it's named after Grandma's Restaurant. It's one of the largest and best-known marathons in America. It's got over 20,000 participants.
1: Ah, I don't know. I mean, there's grandmas all over this country. It's one of the things that makes it great. I mean, marathoning, is is it a certain time of year?
0: It doesn't say on my list here. I'm guessing not in the winter because I'll give you another hint. This is a place where it is very, very snowy around the holidays. In fact, thousands of people flock to this city during Christmas time to see Bentleyville, the largest walkthrough display of lights in America. There's also a Christmas village and the historic Glensheen mansion, which has over 25 Christmas trees in it.
1: Uh, I still don't know, but a snowy place that I love is, let's say, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan.
0: Man, you're so close. I'm just winging it with this hint. But did you know Telly Savalas recorded a series of ads for this city to promote it? This is a real thing. Is it Duluth, Minnesota? (laughs) It's Duluth, Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Why was that the hint that worked for you? They're amazing, by the way. Telly Savalas doing ads for Duluth is something you just can't unhear once you've heard them. Where we're on the radio on WSCN out there in Duluth. So thank you so much. To all of those folks for tuning in. Should we get to the show? Let's do it. Take
1: it away. From PRX, it's. Live Fire! This week, comedian Paul F. Tompkins. I like to
2: sing, but I don't want to be on somebody's front doorstep. Uh, uh, Love Actually style. I mean, I would show up and turn the cards over for sure. I would do that.
3: Poet Jose Olivares. I want to write poems for the people that don't usually get them because we tend to think of poetry as something that is reserved for the romantic interest in our lives.
1: With music from Esme Patterson and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now,
0: the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena. Thanks to everyone. For tuning in from all over the country, this is a special holiday edition of LiveWire. And as such, we've asked the listeners a special Holiday question. What is your favorite holiday tradition? We're going to hear those responses coming up in just a few minutes. In the meantime, Elena, I'm curious, what is your favorite holiday tradition?
1: (laughs) Well, um, so uh, back when I was a youngin', we would always get into the car and drive just a couple hours to my grandma's place in North Carolina and have like a noon Christmas meal. But we would. she lived in a pretty small house, and so we would drive home. She made this gigantic southern, you know, like butter beans and like two kinds of meat and biscuits galore. It was like a week's worth of calories, and we ate it, and we always were like, we're never going to eat again. And so then we'd drive home, and we would invariably get strangely hungry at like 7.30 p.m., and there would be nothing in the fridge. Right. So I, I don't know how to cook. I still don't know how to cook. But the only thing that I was confident because I was like a college student, a high school student was making nachos. So for years, our Christmas <laughs> dinner, like while we were watching It's a Wonderful Life or whatever, was Christmas nachos. And it was kind of special because it was literally the only time that I ever made food for my mother and stepfather.
0: <laughs> And was it just sort of, I mean, regular nachos? Like you were, you didn't bring home a bunch of leftovers and like integrate them into the nachos or anything? No, no,
1: no. Now that I live with a kind of a good gourmand, we do take those kinds of nacho um, liberties.
0: Adventures? But
1: it was just like, oh, there's a can of green chilies in the pantry and some tortilla chips and some shredded cheese. And, you know, I never go anywhere without having chips and salsa close by. But, you know, we've continued the tradition. Like I said, now I live with David who can make a heck of a holiday meal, but we still always make space. At one point during the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whatever, to eat a plate of Christmas nachos, like it's just not Christmas without them.
0: <laughs> the colors also work. You yeah. get the red salsa, you get the green of some chilies. I mean, it's honestly, I can't believe more people aren't making Christmas nachos, Elena. Well, maybe it'll this will start the tradition now. <laughs> All right, if you if you uh, try some Christmas nachos this year and you enjoy them, email us. Let us know how it went for you. I would say that my One of my favorite holiday traditions is kind of related to the fact that I I grew up in a a sort of odd Christmas environment. My parents, we didn't really celebrate Christmas when I was a young kid because of the church my parents went to and stuff. But over time, we started to, we had stockings and then we would put some presents in there. And then there was a sort of growing sense of, of Christmas in my house. And so I remember one year when, I don't even know if we had a tree yet, but I know that it was like, we were allowed to give each other presents and go buy presents and stuff like that. And this, I think it was like my first year. I'm probably like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. My first year where I'm going to Cregan's Pharmacy in Seattle and spending all my allowance to get amazing gifts. Like, I got my dad a laminated sign that said, to error is human, to really screw things up, you need a computer. (laughs) And it just had, like, a total, like, 1980s computer that was spewing paper out of the printer. It was... Sounds like a Garfield joke. (laughs) Totally. It was like, these were the worst presents. But I remember sitting in my bedroom, and listening to the radio while I was wrapping these presents, and this is Christmas Eve, and I was just so excited to get to, like, be part of having presents, and giving presents, and all that stuff, and they happened to be playing this old time version of A Christmas Carol, like an old radio production of A Christmas Carol, and like, you know when you're a kid, sometimes you'll do something weird where you'll just, like, sit kind of crisscross applesauce in an uncomfortable fashion for no discernible reason <laughs> and then make a goal for yourself? My goal was I had to wrap all the presents before I was allowed to sit in a more comfortable position. What? <laughs> I just—I don't know why. I just remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom listening to a Christmas carol and sitting and wrapping presents. And to this day, when it is time for me to wrap presents— It is Christmas Eve. I have found that same recording. It has Lionel Barrymore in it playing um, Mr. Scrooge. I I play it now. It's from the internet, of course. But I play that. I sit on the floor. I don't sit on a chair like a normal person. I sit on the floor and I wrap presents. To this day, I'm 46 years old.
1: Well, uh, you know, if you ever want to switch it up, you can also go on the internet and look up the Yinzer Christmas Carol, which is... Like, as in from Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's these two comedians that are called Greg and Donnie, and they do, like... (laughs) Instead of saying Bah uh, Humbugs, Scrooge says... Oh, bull crap! And he's he's like, <laughs> he's like, and the boy, boy, it's like, boy, what day is it? Get out of Giant Eagle! Give me the biggest turkey you can find.
0: <laughs> I love like head down to Premani's. Give me the there. biggest yeah. sandwich you can find. <laughs> it's very uh, good. Say there, boy, are the Steelers still in the playoffs? <laughs> yeah. Are you being nebby
1: with me, Mister Ghost? I don't think so.
0: <laughs> I would absolutely listen. In fact, you know what? Maybe that can be... I can add that. I'll I'll wrap some of the presents uh, uh, the night before Christmas Eve and I'll listen to the Yinzer Christmas carol.
1: Or just get into a cross-legged position and eat Christmas nachos.
0: I, I'm not kidding you. Maybe I'm just too hungry when we tend to record the show, but <laughs> Christmas nachos sound incredible to me right now. I would crawl across broken Christmas ornaments to get my hands on some Christmas nachos. That's how hungry I am. I could be like Bruce Willis in Die Hard, (laughs) getting to the Christmas nachos. Anyway, uh, we're going to read the listener responses to their favorite holiday traditions coming up. In the meantime, though, we've got to welcome our first guest on over to the show. Now, if you are looking for comedy and podcast royalty, this person definitely qualifies He's been on over 200 episodes of Comedy Bang Bang, the great podcast. Also, he's Mr. Peanut Butter on BoJack Horseman. And he hosts about, like, nine different podcasts, including The Neighborhood Listen and Varietopia. This is Paul F. Tompkins, recorded at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. Hi! Hello! Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me back, guys. It's a pleasure to see you again. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get you back up here for like a year and a half, and you wouldn't come.
2: Yeah, and I took a hurt. year off last year, and I said,
0: <laughs> I'm going to really take some time to sit and think. <laughs> At the beginning of the pandemic, I know you and your wife, the actor, uh, Janie Haddad Tompkins, started doing this podcast Stay F. Homkins. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> There's a lot of Haddad Tompkins heads here. That's what Absolutely. that cheer was. Absolutely. The head heads? Yes. And uh, this show has actually become really popular. It made a lot of kind of best of the year lists. It's a delight. First of all,
2: I wouldn't say it's become really popular. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we were surprised that anyone listened to it. Uh, by that by that measure, yes. It's astoundingly popular.
0: <laughs> I feel like this podcast should be in the, the Stay F. Homkins podcast, should be in the uh, Podcasting Hall of Fame for uh, just one thing, which is popularizing a term that you and Janie <laughs> engage in as you're recording the show. So the sort of conceit of the show is it's an after-dinner chat. Mm. You're just kind of talking about the world and your lives and everything, and you're enjoying a little... A weekend water. That's correct. (laughs) What's the story on weekend water? This
2: was a phrase that was coined by uh, Janie's mother, uh, who lives in South Carolina, and one of her grandchildren was making a move to um, pick up one of her drinks. uh, I think this was at 4th of July, and she said, oh no, honey, don't touch that. That's that's grandma's weekend water. And we, I never forgot it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that could really revolutionize someone's relationship with drinking. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even for the best. Because mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Definitely not for if the best. If it's Tuesday, so it's, are you having a drink? It's like four on Tuesday. You're like, I'm just having a little weekend water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really kind of takes the judgment off of it. Yeah. <laughs> then it just becomes a matter of semantics. Yes, yeah. yes. indeed. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if hosting this podcast with your wife has been good for the relationship, uh, bad for the relationship, if things remained unchanged? I, it's been good for the relationship, I think. it, it was very
2: uh, it was a very weird thing. We'd never done anything like that before, and together. we'd never done a podcast together before. so it, it was like, well, this is my. A personal relationship with my wife I don't know if I want to share it And then it was fun Like the first time we did it It was fun And I was like I guess we're doing this For as long as we are Stuck here inside And then Then after things lifted It just seemed like Let's keep doing it But we, we couldn't do it With regular, the same regularity Because things started to uh, Like we started to work again And you know But I think we're going to Keep doing it once a month It's just It's become its own thing At this point And we have merch So we got to sell it
3: Yeah <laughs> You gotta once merch enters... Things. Listen,
2: yeah. once merch enters a marriage, yeah. there's no turning
0: back. <laughs> um, I think it was the, m- the most recent episode uh, where you were expressing a certain amount of concern for Adele. You feel like she is singing in some kind of new <laughs> accent. You know, what is your evidence?
2: Okay. We were Right before we started recording, we were listening to Adele's new album, and there's this style of singing that I think, I don't know if it's pushed on young women, like they have to do this mm. if they want to have a hit, or if, like, young women are just like, oh, that's how people sing now, so I'll just do that. But I call it the uh, the Cajun baby singing voice. <laughs> because it's very, like, it's sort of like a, I'm sort of a child, but now I say toin instead of turn. Like, that's not a... Th- that's not like a singing accent you can just have.
0: Like, to just sound
2: like a little baby Dr. John.
0: It's all basically David Sedaris singing the Oscar Mayer yeah. theme song as Billie Holiday.
2: <laughs> I wish I was an Oscar Mayer
0: weenard.
2: you Nailed it. That's exactly what it is.
0: Well, that, but I mean, that's a thing that David Sedaris really does. I wish I could take credit for it. I'm just reporting the facts of yeah. the world.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh and man. he sings it in the style of yeah. Billie Holiday. Yes. Yeah. Like a That's a... exactly what it
0: is. <laughs> Speaking of singing, uh, I know that you are a fan of the Tam O'Shanter <laughs> in Los Angeles, the yes. Scottish Steakhouse.
1: Not the hat. Well, <laughs> but, I wouldn't put I'm it I'm also past a fan you. of the hat. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past
0: you. I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> Wear one of those hats.
1: Do you own one? Of
0: course I do. <laughs> of course I do. Hold on, Paul. You know what? We need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about the live caroling at the Tam O'Shanter. <laughs>
2: sure. <And laughs> what a many cliffhanger, other, guys!
0: Many. <laughs> 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 this is Livewire. We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins. Back with more in just a moment. What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to Live Wire from PRX, coming to you from Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passerello. We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins from Freedom and uh, BoJack Horseman and Mr. Show and so many other amazing fun places and the Tam O'Shanter, Los Angeles' leading Scottish steakhouse, mm-hmm. where they feature live Christmas carolers. Yes. Which, what What's your relationship with, with that form of entertainment?
2: Well, <laughs> with that form of entertainment. I think it was a thing. Caroling, I think, was always a thing. I was scared would show up at my door. <laughs> it was a thing I was afraid I would be invited to do. Neither of those things ever happened. But you're such a good singer. Well, <laughs> don't, don't say that. <laughs> I'm okay. I do all right.
3: <laughs>
2: but there's something... There is... There is a weird thing. There's like a certain shyness that you get when you can do a thing, but you're asked to do it in a weird situation, mm-hmm. and it's like I like to sing, but I don't want to be on somebody's front doorstep, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 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 Love Actually style. And um, I mean, I would show up and turn the cards over for sure. I would do that. <laughs> if you if you want to print out the words to Good King Wenceslas on a on a series of cards, I will show up at someone's door and turn them over. <laughs> this is actually not a bad idea the more I'm thinking about it. I think it's, a, it's a bit of whimsy that I think people would enjoy. But, uh, so I, I started going to the Tam O'Shanter, uh, which is one of the oldest restaurants in Hollywood. Uh, uh, Walt Disney's animators used to, uh, and I think still do, I think the Disney animators still out of tradition, go there to get drunk. Um, and... Uh, I, a thing that I did not know the first time I went there with a friend of mine during the Christmas season, we were gonna, just gonna meet up for a, a dinner and catch up that they have strolling Victorian carolers that walk throughout the restaurant and they come up to you and they ask you what song you want to hear and you have to tell them the name of a song that you want to hear <laughs> and then they sing it at you Hello then, from the Other Side <laughs> Has to be a Christmas song oh. Although I've never tested that out
1: You can change I, it to like Hello from the US. Time. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um,
2: So the first year that happened, we were like, that was weird. So the next year, we were like, how do we prevent that from happening again? (laughs) And so uh, we said, all right, we'll we'll devise a plan. I don't think we can make them stop. So uh, we'll figure out where to look. Um, And so it won't be as uncomfortable. So uh, what I did was afterwards we compared notes and i said where did you look and he said i just looked at the in the eyes of the ladies i just did that oh. <laughs> and i said i looked i looked sort of in the middle distance and nodded my head as if i was really into it like it was really powerful to me so then we the thing is we kept forgetting that this was going to happen and we had a yearly engagement after thanksgiving we would go to the Tamil Shander and have dinner. So then the next year, we're prepared for it. <laughs> and we say, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll tell them, oh, you already sang the one that we wanted to hear. We just heard you <laughs> sing it at this other table. Well, guess what? You could tell from the reaction, they had heard this before. <laughs> it got so passive aggressive. They were all, all of them, four of them. In this Victorian garb, we're like, oh, okay, all right, great, yeah, no problem, no problem. And they're walking away, and we're like, it was so beautiful. I was like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, sure, uh-huh. And that felt so bad. So the next year, we're like, okay, we're just going to let it happen. And we're, you know, it's like, what, why are we bothered so much by this? So then that's the year that we're cheerful about it. We're like, yes, we can't wait. Let's hear Oh, Holy Night or whatever. Then we witness them getting into a weird fight about the key because the one, the guy on the end says, what key is it in again? The guy on the, on the other end says it's in C. And so they start looking through the book and, like, trying to figure out what, what key is this in? And the guy on the end is like, it's in C, like I said. And then um, they finally find it on, in the book, and they say, okay. And, uh, and the guy on the other one end says, okay, and it's in C. And the guy in the end says, like I said. (laughs) And then they sang the tensest Oh Holy Night that I'd ever heard.
0: You should invite them on your variety show that you've been doing in Los Angeles. You know what? I should.
2: I absolutely should. I should invite them out of season and get them on
0: there. Uh, Talk about that, because you've gone back to live performing. Uh, I'm wondering, like, for the audience... Are, is the audience subdued or are they just like excited to be somewhere are the performers as everyone i mean what's the general feeling the audience of- is
2: very subdued it's not going well and <laughs> um it's been it's been fantastic my first show back was uh in september and the the feeling in the room for for everybody on stage everybody off stage was just cathartic everyone was excited to be somewhere doing something that felt kind of normal it's a big show it's got a big band and uh, you know a lot of guests and everything and a lot of uh, songs to be learned and things like that and i i'm hoping to ride that feeling for as long as i possibly can
0: <laughs> people can watch this on vimeo if they're not in los that's angeles that's right luke <laughs> I was wondering, you're a very skilled improviser. You improv all these characters. (laughs) The irony is, we planned that. That was was not improvised. That was scripted months ago. And he kind of stepped on my line. I did. I couldn't wait. I I got excited. One job, Tompkins. Um... (laughs) Did you go to one of these improv programs, like Second City or Groundlings or I.O. or something? How did you get started with this? And when did you know, oh, this is something I'm actually kind of have a knack for?
2: Yeah, it was really, it was osmosis from doing podcasts. Because when I started doing characters, I never had to do that before to sustain a character and to sort of conceit and like a story over the course of, of that long. And so from doing podcasts and doing them with other people who did that kind of character work regularly, uh, I got to a point where I was like, I think I want to throw myself into the deep end. I think I've, I've learned the precepts of this um, from being around it and, and seeing it done so much. Um, and so I started, a, I started doing, like live improv shows, uh, like if, uh, you know, a couple of people asked me to do it, and, and then I started doing a podcast where I had to improvise every week, and um, that that was a podcast called Spontane Nation. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that was like, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make it so that I am the weakest link of every show, and if I can, if I can be good as the weakest link of the show, then that's what I'm gonna be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get people, I'm gonna get guests on the show who are so good and so skilled at doing this that that's how I'm going to learn how to do this.
0: That's amazing to me because as a nation listener, I assumed that we were sort of catching up with you in like year 15 of your hardcore improv (laughs) career. You
2: sure weren't. Really? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Wow. That was impressive. You also uttered Maybe one of the greatest lines I believe was on Spontaneous Nation. I don't know if this was improvised or actually part of you said. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who said, "You've reached the end of your Benjamin Franklin quote of the month." Luke, can I tell you? <laughs> I say it in my head all the time. That
2: was a scripted line from Bojack Horseman. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter said that. <laughs> oh no! So not only did I not come up with it myself, <laughs> a cartoon dog said it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Paul F. Tompkins, everybody. That was Paul F. Tompkins right here on Livewire, the newest season of Paul's comedy improv podcast, The Neighborhood Listen, where they basically reenact actual postings on those weird neighborhood apps where everyone's always <laughs> freaking out about stuff. That's The Neighborhood Listen, and the new season of that show, The Neighborhood Listen, is out now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Lynn Pham of Beaverton, Oregon. Lynn is a vital part of the LiveWire member community and generously supports the show with a donation each month. And we are very, very thankful for that support because it's how we can keep doing LiveWire, something I know Lynn loves because he's there every week when we do the show. So thank you, Lynn, for keeping LiveWire going. This is LiveWire. Of course, each week we ask our listeners a question. This is a special holiday edition of the program this week. So we asked our listeners, what is your favorite holiday tradition? Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing?
1: Okay. I love this one from Rob. Rob says, on New Year's Eve, my father would make a fire in the fireplace and cook hamburgers and hot dogs over it. It was the only day of the year that he would do this. (laughs) Just like, well, well, you know, in with the new year, have a fireplace hot dog,
0: Junior. (laughs) I love it. I don't think it even occurred to me that you could do that, but that sounds really fun. Also, it seems like the house would smell amazing after that.
1: I wonder what receptacle one needs to cook a hamburger in a fireplace, but I'm sure they figured. If you can make popcorn, they have that cage for fireplace
0: popcorn. Sure. It's like the old Mel Torme song. Hot dogs roasting on an open fire. (laughs) grease spots dripping down the hearth
1: mel torme puns are your holiday tradition
0: (laughs) oh my gosh i am ever since i was a kid and i saw mel torme on the tv show night court night court (laughs) i I remain obsessed with with mel torme the smooth dulcet tones of mel torme and he wrote that the christmas song all right what's another tradition that one of our listeners likes to enjoy this time of year
1: Oh, I love this one from Carly. Carly's family always plays loteria, which is like Mexican bingo, after Christmas dinner at the table with the whole family for money. Since there's so many of us playing, a pot of money is so big and everyone's so focused. It's always loud. It gets rowdy with 20 plus people playing. It's always so much fun. A lot of my favorite memories from Christmas come from the dining room table.
0: Did I ever tell you, Elena, about the time that I bought an actual blackjack table? That was like legit dimensions and everything. And I was the house. So I was like, you know, the casino. And these are my my former in-laws were there playing for real money. And I cleaned them out. And it was so bad. I was like, I've never wanted to bust more in a round of blackjack. And I could not lose. I remember my former father-in-law just with a kind of a stern look on his face as he took another $5 out of his wallet. <laughs>
1: I'm surprised how many holiday traditions in, among families involve gambling. It gets uh, <laughs>
0: boring after a while. Let's be honest. you got to throw a little skin in the game, a little money.
1: Well, how about this for a game? This is great. Matt says, every year, my family does an ugly Christmas sweater competition. The rules are you have to buy a sweater from a secondhand shop and then decorate it. Everything on the sweater has to be DIYed, And then everybody makes the sweaters together. And that is awesome. I love that idea.
0: And also financially probably less damaging than losing to me at blackjack
1: yes yeah yeah or maybe if you lost at blackjack instead of paying money you'd have to wear one of these sweaters
0: that would be a very uh, festive punishment all right we have more audience cards to read a little later in the show so definitely stick around for that in the meantime our next guest's book of poetry citizen illegal was named a top book by npr in the new york times his latest collection of poetry promises of gold is a bilingual exploration of love in all of the forms that it takes, and it has been long-listed for the National Book Award. So take a listen to this. It's Jose Olivares, recorded at the Patricia Research Center for the Arts. <laughs> Jose, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for traveling all the way from Jersey today to be here in Beaverton.
3: You know, all in the day's work.
0: Yeah, man. You write in the foreword of, of your new book that you wanted this to be a book of love poems for your homies. Uh, you know, kind of your non-romantic friends. But then it didn't exactly turn out that way. What happened?
3: So I, I had the idea for the book before the pandemic started. And so in my mind, I'm like, this is a pretty straightforward book of poems. I want to write poems for the people that don't usually get them because we tend to think of poetry as something that is reserved for the romantic interest in our lives, right? My friend Nate says that we usually go to poetry in times where someone's either getting married or buried, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and so I, in my mind, I'm like, I want to kind of fill in the gaps. And then when the pandemic happened all of my language became a lot darker. And I realized how much fear I was living with and how much uncertainty, I mean, and anxiety was just kind of filling my poetry. And so the poems themselves are are kind of aiming at this type of love while a lot of times landing in uncertainty and anxiety and all of those other emotions.
0: I'm curious about your growing up years and words and poetry and things like that. Were those in your life growing up in, uh, it was Illinois?
3: Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Calumet City, Illinois, in the south suburbs of Chicago. And also, my parents are immigrants. They came from Jalisco, Mexico. So English is my second language. And so that means for a large part of my life, I was often very quiet because I didn't want to mess up the language and have people laugh at me right I didn't want to mispronounce anything and so I was used to kind of living in that quietness and but I was always listening like I loved language even when I couldn't fully understand English I loved the way my peers would kind of like flip words and make up phrases on the fly and so uh what poetry allowed for me was it gave me a chance to think about like do I really want to be quiet or is this quiet something that has kind of been put upon me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I was kind of asked to write my own poems, I was like, it turns out I have all of this language that I've just been kind of storing and thinking about for all of these years. Can we actually hear something um, from the book? I was hoping that we
0: could hear uh, Ode to Tortillas.
3: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So this poem is called Ode to Tortillas it was inspired by eating tortillas. (laughs) It's deep, you know what I mean? Poetry, how does it happen? Who knows? Ode to tortillas. There's two ways to be a Mexican writer that we've discovered so far. You can be the Mexican writer who writes about tortillas, or you can be the Mexican writer who writes about croissants. instead of the tortillas on their plate. Can you be a Mexican writer if you're allergic to corn? There's two ways to be a Mexican writer that are true and tested. You can write about migration, or you can write about migration. Can you be a Mexican writer if you never migrated, if your family never migrated? There's two ways to be a Mexican writer. You can translate from Spanish, or you can translate too Spanish, or you can refuse to translate altogether. There's only one wound in the Mexican writer's imagination, and it's the wound of the chancla. It's the wound of bidia being sold out at the taco truck. It's the wound of too many dolores and not enough dollars. It can be argued that these are all chanclazos. Even death is a chanclazo. There's only one miracle gifted to Mexicans and it is the miracle of never running out of cheap beer. It's the miracle of never running out of bad jokes. There's infinite ways to eat a tortilla, made in the ancient ways by hand and warmed on a comal, made with corn or with Taco Bell plastic. <laughs> they count. <laughs> what about flour tortillas? Flour tortillas count if you ask San Antonio. <laughs> My people, I am poly with the tortillas. You can eat tortillas with your hands or roll them up and dip them in caldo like my mom does. You can eat them with the fork and knife like my bougie cousins do. What bougie cousins? I made them up for the purpose of this poem. You can eat tortillas in tacos or warmed up by microwave and drizzled with butter, tortillas con arroz, tortillas con frijoles, tortillas flipped by hand or tortillas flipped with a spatula, tortillas with eggs for breakfast, tortillas fried and sprinkled with sugar for dessert, hard shell tortillas, gluten-free tortillas for our mixed family. (laughs) We are still discovering new ways to fold a tortilla to cut a tortilla up, to transform a tortilla into new worlds, to feed each other with tortillas. My people, if I have children, I will teach them about tortillas, but I'm sure they'll want McDonald's. <laughs> Jose Olivares,
0: reading from Promises of Gold here on Livewire. Uh, you talk about translation in that poem, and the, the layout of this book is really interesting. So uh, it's, half of it is uh, in English. Well, it's the same poems, but in English, and then the other side is in Spanish. So you flip it over to read whichever side you're reading. Did you always have that in mind for this book?
3: That idea came from doing community workshops with bilingual students and bilingual families. And what I would find is, you know, I would give readings to students who were fluent in both English and Spanish, and that would be great. But then I would give workshops that included their parents, and the parents only spoke Spanish. And so I would do those workshops in Spanish, and those were also great. But the parents would come up to me afterwards, and they'd be like, you know, we wish we could also read your poems alongside our kids, but we only read in Spanish. And so that, for me, made me remember that, like, for example, in my education, when I was reading James and the Giant Peach, I could never like bring that story home to my parents and ask them to read along with me or tell them about what I was reading, right? And so my hope was to offer something that might be useful to those families. That's such a great idea. I I read the, the English side, and then I
0: actually enjoyed reading some of the Spanish side yeah. with my very limited high school Spanish to just see the way the words work. Yeah. And it's just such a beautiful thing to see. Uh, but there's a, a note from the translator in the book. I'm curious... You speak Spanish, but did you have the poems translated into Spanish?
3: Yeah. So I worked with a translator named David Ruano Gonzalez, who's a poet from Mexico City. And the reason I worked with the translator is because, like I mentioned, I studied in English. And so that's really the language that I feel most comfortable with being creative and kind of mm-hmm. thinking academically in at this point. Um, so when it came time to translate my poems, like I could, I could... Get a rough estimation, but to do it with the kind of precision and art Mm -hmm. that poetry requires and the musicality, I really needed to kind of lean on David.
1: Do you have conversations with your translator when he's like working through the book about the things that aren't necessarily there in a word-to-word translation, like you said, the art?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way, I mean, you could kind of tell from that poem, right, but I like to write in vernacular and kind of really draw out the music of the everyday. That's something that's really beautiful to me. And so David would have questions because he'd be like, you know, I Googled this word. (laughs) uh, Bougie. Yeah, yeah, bougie. And it's just, it's not making sense to me. And so then I'd have to like explain it to him and he'd be like. Do you remember
0: where it landed on the Spanish
3: side? What we did with bougie? Yeah, yeah. Los primos, los muy, muy, I think is what. Okay. Los muy, muy. Los muy, muy, yeah. Nice. Um, the, the poem
0: that we had you read, you talked about there being sort of two ways to be a, a Mexican poet. Do you feel constrained at times by an expectation about how you might be as a poet who is Mexican-American? Like if you just don't necessarily want to write about something related to that experience on a given day?
3: Yeah, kind of. I remember, so in my first book, there's, a, you know, there's also basketball poems. And I remember sometimes being asked by audience members, like, in a book that is about immigrations and its discontents, why is there a poem about Scottie Pippen? <laughs> and I'd be like, because I like Scottie Pippen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. it's It's just... So, yeah, I think there's this expectation that those of us who have marginalized identities that mm-hmm. we kind of write about it in this one particular way. Mm-hmm. And for me, I want to think about, like, how I present those pains and then also you know, what I want to share and what I don't. And in that, what I might gain by, by surprising people and reminding them that even through those moments of struggle and pain, that there's always a lot of joy and song and dance.
0: Yeah. Uh, you have a quote in the book from um, Eduardo Galliano saying, utopia is, is on the horizon and basically you take 10 steps towards it and it takes 10 steps down the horizon. I'm curious, what keeps you walking?
3: What keeps me walking is, you know, like a belief that just because things are one way right now that, It doesn't mean that they've always been this way and it doesn't mean that they have to continue to be this way. So I really believe that through imagination we can start to think and really build a world where things are different for us and you can see those little victories from time to time where even underneath all of this oppressive weight there's something that we're constructing that we're slowly making bigger and bigger. Could we sneak one more poem Yeah. Yeah.
0: I would love for folks... Maybe, maybe something on the, uh, on the shorter side just for time, but, but anything that you might want to pick.
3: Yeah, thank you. I'll read a love poem. Uh, this is a poem I wrote for my wife, Erica. It's called Love Poem Beginning with the Yellow Cab. Hmm. I ask you, what's the first thing you think about when you see the color yellow? And like a real New Yorker, you say yellow cabs, not sunlight, Or a yellow ribbon tied around a vase of fresh begonias. Yellow cabs honking down Broadway. I still remember the night we first shared a cab. You whispered honey, whispered lace, whispered chrysanthemum. All that practice. And it turns out I had never ridden in a cab the right way. (laughs) Around us the street lights blurred into yellow ribbons. And when you put your hand on my thigh, it was like I knew for the first time why God gave us thighs, (laughs) (laughs) why God gave us hands. Maybe God invented yellow for the calves, so the first time we touched like this, it could be accented in gold.
0: My goodness.
3: That's a love poem.
0: Jose Olivares, thank you so much for coming on LiveWire. The book is Promises of Gold. Thank you. That was Jose Olivares right here on LiveWire. His latest book, Promises of Gold, is out and available now. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. You are listening to a special holiday edition of LiveWire. Uh, we got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We will be right back with an original Christmas song performed by the lovely and talented Esme Patterson. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal T this season, formerly known as T Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. This is a special holiday episode of LiveWire. And uh, so we have expanded our audience question portion of the show because we've asked the LiveWire audience, what is your favorite holiday tradition? Elena has been tracking those responses. What else are you seeing?
1: Okay, we got this one from Jesse. Jesse says, one word. Latkes. (laughs) (laughs) latkes <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen like a latka evening in a, usually a Jewish household in December like it is an intense ordeal the squeezing of the water from the shredded potatoes the slapping of the hands of all of the people that can't wait to
0: get their mitts on a delicious latki so good though so I try to show up right when all the work is done and it's eating time
1: are you an applesauce guy or a sour cream guy?
0: I'm sour cream. I don't really like the the savory and the sweet together.
1: Same, same. So
0: not for me. I, I'm I like I'm I'm all about that sour cream. Uh, what is another holiday tradition? One of our LiveWire listeners want to tell us about.
1: Oh, I love this one from Joe. Joe says my family is obsessed with the Bon Mama Advent Jam Calendar. We open it each day without reading the label and then have a taste test to try to guess what flavor it is. Have you seen? Bumama is the that jam that has like almost like a handwritten label looking and like a kind of checkerboard top. Really yummy jam.
0: I don't think I've ever seen that.
1: Oh, they're great. They're just affordable, fancy jam. Let's say that. And they have an advent calendar where you open the door and the teensiest, weensiest, like airplane-sized canister of jam and my my lovely sister-in-law bought my dad, Tony Passarello, Livewire's biggest fan, the advent calendar last December. And he was delighted because he is a major proponent of jelly in all kinds. <laughs> um, but it's great. Like, I love the advent calendars that are like whiskey advent calendar or like makeup advent calendar.
0: I have problems. You know, that's that whatever that kind of uh, experiment they would do with children where they would sit them in a room and they would sort of offer them like a, a cookie the marshmallow made,
3: test. Yeah, yeah. The marshmallow.
0: T- <laughs> I fail that every year with whatever kind of chocolate based Advent stuff comes into my life. You'd it's go like, right away. it's like December 1st and I'm already <laughs> digging into like this. I'm already all the way to December 22nd.
1: I got a perfume Advent calendar once. And on the first day I took the little vial of perfume out and I put it on my wrists and I held it up for David to smell. And he
0: went, you smell like a floor. And
1: then I didn't <laughs> open anymore. <laughs> Honesty. Merry Christmas. <laughs>
0: it's how you've been together for so many years. It's just a level of honesty between the two of you. Okay, one more holiday tradition from one of our wire listeners.
1: Sammy says, after we eat Christmas dinner, my family always goes to the movies. We do in the Passarello family as well. We try to see something Christmas-themed, but if not, we'll watch whatever. One year, we all watched a really scary movie while wearing ugly Christmas sweaters. It was hilarious. <laughs> I saw Titanic on Christmas Day. I remember that. I watched that boat sink (laughs) on Christmas Day.
0: I have never seen that movie. That's my number one, like, never have I ever thing that I can Uh trot out. Now the problem is my whole personality is based around the fact that I haven't seen Titanic. So I can never see Titanic. Me and Star Wars. You haven't seen Star Wars.
1: Correct. I've tried, uh, but uh, some, I used to, when I couldn't sleep, David would just recite the plot of Star Wars to me and then I would fall asleep.
0: I will say the later ones, I used to just call them Galactic C-Span.
4: <laughs>
0: just kind of very governmental, very process-oriented, just lawmakers from other galaxies debating like trade embargoes and stuff.
1: I have seen, however, the Star Wars Christmas special, which is spectacular. I mean, really, you don't need to see anything else other than that.
0: Absolutely. Maybe that can become my new favorite holiday tradition. Thank you to everyone who sent in your responses on this special episode of LiveWire, where our musical guest this week is Esme Patterson, who comes from the mountains of Colorado. She's known for indie folk music. She's performed on NPR's Tiny Desk. She's been on Conan, The Late Show with David Letterman. And she joined us at Revolution Hall way back in 2015 to perform her song, If I, this is Esme Patterson from LiveWire.
4: Hi, everybody. Well, uh, I'm gonna play a, a Christmas song that I wrote. Uh, I'm kind of conflicted about Christmas and I'm, I'm from Colorado. Um, and somebody kind of challenged me to write a Christmas song even though that's kind of something I'm not really into. Uh, and so I, this song's for my family who I miss a bunch. <laughs> If I was the forest I'd give you a tree if I was brand. near mine If I was the sky I'd give you a star If you're wondering what I got you I can give Is my one patient heart For Christmas I want something That I can't find I want Some of your time For Christmas I want something That I can't buy I want your heart Nimm me, Nimm me, for Christmas. I-
0: Was Esme Patterson, right here on Livewire. Her newest full length album is Notes from Nowhere, and it is available now. All right, that's going to do it for this special holiday edition of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Paul F. Tompkins, Jose Olivares, and Esme Patterson.
1: Laura Haddon is our executive producer, Heather D. Michelle is our executive director, and our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and our house sound is by Neil Blake. Trey Hester is our assistant editor. Our marketing and production manager is Karen Pan. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. Jackie Ibarra is our production fellow, and Aunt Diaz is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, Al Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. This episode was mixed by Molly Pettit
0: and Trey Hester. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon, and the National Endowment for the Arts. This week, we'd like to thank member Lynn Pham of Beaverton, Oregon. What up, Lynn? For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thank you for listening. Have a very, very happy holidays, and we'll see you next week.